Hi everyone. Welcome to the lost generation outside of the mainstream. My name is William Hooker. I am a musician, poet, and part of this generation of artists. My goal with this podcast, which is being broadcast on its own YouTube channel and my website, williamhooker.com, is to introduce you to many of the musical artists that are outside of the mainstream and have made important artistic contributions to our culture. I have also interviewed producers of the music and many fans and supporters of this work. My guests are sharing what makes this art form unique and significant. I hope these conversations will inspire you to listen to the music, which may change you and the way you view music, which again is outside of the mainstream. Today, I am interviewing band leader, composer, and bassist, William Parker. For the rest of the summer, we will be having one interview per month. We will resume our regular schedule of two interviews beginning in September 2019. This is The Lost Generation Outside of the Mainstream. This is a story that needs to be told. Okay, so... Today is a very, very special day for me, realizing that I have a friend of mine here, that I've traveled down this path a long time with, and this is William Parker. Uh, William, this is an honor for me. It's an honor for me, it really is, just to be able to like have some sort of forum that you could share your ideas and, and uh, philosophy with us. Um, would you tell, say something about yourself in four or five sentences or so, and then we'll get okay. to the soft part. Uh, my name is William Parker. I'm a bass player and improviser, a poet, writer, educator sometimes. And I've been involved in the creative, improvised jazz scene since 1970, 1970. And um, I'll try to continue doing it until, uh, until I can't do it anymore. Okay. You know, I'm trying to discover a lot of things about music and flow and uh, over these years. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Beautiful man. Met a lot of wonderful people. These musicians here, Steve Swell and Barry Alshon. Yes. And, um, and many, many more. You know, some are gone, some are still with us, but uh, it's, been, it's been a great, great, great experience. I wouldn't change anything about it. So, just a general question. Yes. Uh, 
What are we exploring in this musical realm? And what are we so committed to doing? Well, I don't look at it as... Is, in terms of like... Yeah, I don't look at it as exploring. Uh, for me, uh, music is a, is a form of prayer. And uh, so every time I play, I'm like praying. I'm trying to communicate with higher spirits that's going to animate me so that they can come through me and uh, we can play music on a higher plane, which then goes out to the audience and will animate them into changing their lives and feeling uh, uh, high on on the on an ethereal plane. Yes. I mean, I don't so much say like, okay, I'm experimenting with this sound and that sound. No, I don't. I don't do that necessarily. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just uh, try to try to jump into the already. I mean, music is like to me is a river that already exists. And so what I'm doing is um, jumping into that river and trying to navigate. And I, I the experiment is to follow where it goes and try not to uh, uh, to lead it but let it lead me feeling that it's stronger than me so I should follow it rather than me following trying to guide it like say okay music you have to be 7-4 or 6-8 or 4-8 you know and music is saying don't tell me what to do <laughs> yeah, I was here before you got here. I'm feeling it. You know, you don't tell me what to do. I'll slap you upside your head. <laughs> I'm feeling that. I'm so, feeling so, that. so, so I said, music, take me where you want me to take. Me. Go. And they said, okay, come on, follow me. And I just followed. All right. You know, it's not like I'm a composer. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm just flowing with the flow. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now. Um, your books are very, very not only timely but timeless in terms of the many people of our generation and other generations that you've spoken to. So I want to I want to ask you about certain people that you and I both know, people that you don't that I don't know, and I want you to to give us a little bit of elaboration on these people's music. Okay. I'm, not I'm not thinking about personalities and right. who did what. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, um, okay. Ben. Well, Billy Bang. Basically broke all the rules of music. <laughs> I mean, and then he rewrote them in the language of back. And he was brave enough to do that because um, uh, I said, "Well, you 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 hold the violin wrong, you bow wrong, you finger wrong. Everything you do is wrong." But being wrong was right for him. 
and it's right for everybody. You know, there is no right and wrong in music. It's just like, well, you know, I want to hold the drumsticks like this. So that's wrong. And then if you do it for 40 years, it's right. If you can make it sound out of it, it's right. You know, now, you know, it's up to everybody. I mean, you have the freedom to do what you want in music. And bang, yes. he used to play the bongos in the subway when he was a kid. And uh, he had a, a sense of rhythm and melody. And he just had this sense of putting music together. Because he would, like, do it like a, a puzzle, you know. Uh, here and there, put it together. The next thing you know, this thing would be happening. Uh-huh. Kind of like Pharaoh Sanders. Uh-huh. Pharaoh had this magical thing that after a few sounds, Pharaoh was in his zone. He's gone. You know? And then it's like, well, uh, I remember he was taking lessons with Leroy Jenkins. Uh-huh. And uh, Leroy said, I can't do nothing with you, man. You know, he said, I can't do it. I can't teach you nothing. You know, because everything you do is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So, it was like that. Yeah, it was like, you know, if, if I teach you something, I'd be taking away your individuality. You know, he was not going to be, uh, because he played without an amplifier in the basement down there on 3rd on, on, uh, Street. You know, he played, he, his thing was patterned after John Coltrane, saxophone players. Uh-huh. And that's how he got such a big sound. Ah, so he was not an ensemble violinist. He was he was a personal violin. He had a personal sound. Because because we, we were playing, he never used an amp for a long time. You know? And if you notice when Billy played, Billy was always dancing. His body was moving. You see. And uh, so that all of that was like one package. And um, Wow. So he was he, he was something else. Then so, that's uh, well, I'll tell you a quick funny story with Zen. Zen used to be a limousine, and I don't talk about his music. You oh, right, thank, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I'll just go to his music. <laughs> All right. right. Zen used to live on uh, 6th Street. Yeah. Uh, 4th Street Street was um, James Blood Allman. I lived on 314 East 6th Street. And um, what happened was, you'd always hear this drummer playing. And Zen had a very fast right, he had the, the fastest right hand in the East Village. You know, outside of a couple of drummers like Clemson Parker and, and, and Eugene, guys from Studio Wee. But Zen had that fast right hand. Right. Well, you could keep time with him and, and really, and really go. Uh-huh. And and plus he could fill in. See, a lot of drummers they can keep time, but they can't fill. Sure. You know it's like, but he he had the, you know he had the thing working. And he used to practice every day. You hear Frank Lowe in there playing with him. Right. And so Zen was swift. Zen was quiet. And he was almost like a Zen guy. That is his name. His mother was Korean. His father was Japanese. So he had that going. And he was um, just a quiet guy that loved music, but he wanted to take his time and it was a perfectionist. Hmm. Everything had to be perfect around him. Very good cook. He used to cook at the, at the uh, dojo restaurant. 
Mm -hmm. And everything around him had to be perfectly built and recorded. Studio was record down there. And, uh, but in this place? Yeah, out in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. And uh, but, but Zen, was, Zen, Zen was like a, a, a wise seer. You know, he'd help people out, he'd do things for people, and he's always quiet and very, uh, you know, like a, like a walking uh, meditation. Beautifully said. Beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. And he, he tuned his drums. Sure. Yeah. Not everybody tunes their drums. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. Zen was a, you know, was an un, you know, and I like, and I quickly, you know, he was driving a limousine once. Okay, I had to give you lush life, so I was coming, I was going to around the corner to the gig, so, so Zen picked me up, and so I wanted the band to see me getting out of the limousine, so we just waiting there, waiting there, waiting there for somebody to come out to see me getting out of the limousine. Yeah. So Zen kept saying, "I gotta go, William. I gotta go." I said, "What?" He said, and then you know, finally. Finally, Cecil and them came out and uh, went in, and I came out, to, and they saw me getting out of the limousine. I said, oh, man, you take the limousine to work? I said, yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Why not? Hey, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roy Campbell. Well, I was thinking about Roy today, because I was watching this James Baldwin movie, uh, um, I'm Not Your Nick Nick Negro. And he mentions Martin, Medgar, and Malcolm. And Roy, thinking about this composition, Roy wrote called The Three M's, dedicated to them. And it was about assassinations and, and, and Amadou Diallo and police killing people. Roy was, wow, Roy was just, he was, just, he was like something else. When I first met Roy, uh, well, we were both into Jazzmobile, although I, he, he saw me and I saw him, we didn't really communicate. But when I did meet him, Roy was doing backbends, like way back, and playing like 40-minute solos, high-level intensive, like, like, like Donald Eiler, uh, yes. Hannibal, Lee Morgan, Clifford Brown all rolled into one. Yes. And man, he was hitting it hard. But we were, and we played with a saxophone Five Cotton and some Turkish drummers, Sinan Turtemez and Hussaini Tunk, you might know from Boston. You said Sinan? Yeah. Right. Uh, not Rashi Sinan. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Okay, I got you. That's another story. Okay. So anyway, uh, Roy was just, you know, he had, he had a sense of Melody, rhythm, harmony. He was like the musician's musician, plus he was crazy. <laughs> Which you don't get every day. Beautiful. You know, usually the musician's musicians are not crazy. But you need that crazy. Yeah. You see, because the spirits only talk to people who are crazy. You're a crazy horse? Yeah, I know, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you need that. You need that crazy to, to, to lock things in because... You know, all, you know, so Roy was just the quintessential trumpet player and musician. And I think about him a lot. I think about him and Ben. 
Now, now you just mentioned the person that's close to uh, you. Just uh, 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 Marvin, trouble player. Oh, Hannibal. 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 Yeah. Um, how would you How would you look at like Hannibal and then look at Roy? Because the first time that I read to Hannibal was when this this festival that happened at, at Fordham, and I think he was. He was playing, there was, there was Muffet Grace playing, I was playing, and then Hannibal like came with this this plate. He came from another place, man. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, how would you say that? How well, would you know, we first heard Hannibal on Black Unity with Pharaoh. Okay. And uh, live at the East one of those. And we hadn't heard anything like that because he was different than Don Ivan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Was much more brassy and had that, you know. But Hannibal was 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 going way up, way up, way up. And uh, he sat in with us a couple of times with Ensemble Munson. Uh-huh. Him and Roy were friends. Wow, see, it, it uh-huh. out. But Roy, you know, he didn't back down from Hannibal. We didn't back up from nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some more, but you know he had a he he's come from the university. Um, what university he go to? From, uh, well, he was through the university program. Okay. And he somehow it was Fordham. No, no, this was in Texas. Oh, okay, sorry. And, and the thing is that he, I felt was was out there playing, but it was the kind of thing he had another vision. And another road for itself. Yeah. You know, like what we were doing, as Lester Bull used to say, oh, here come the wild bunch. Lester just call us the wild bunch. And uh, uh-huh. and so he, this was a little, you know, he, he he did that, but he wanted to do something else. I hear you. You know, because the thing is, he would keep the rhythm section locked in. You see, and if you're going to get the music to go away, you got to free everybody. You just can't be free yourself and have all the fun. You gotta let the bass player have some fun, the piano player have some fun, and the drums have some fun. Some people might disagree with you. Oh my God. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, buddy. Yeah, okay. Get the drummer song. No, like, I'm gonna deal with you. I ain't saying give the drummer song. <laughs> yeah. But I know what you mean. Right, that's beautiful, beautiful. But, uh, yeah, yeah so, so I think he was going another way. He was yeah. going another way. I hear you. And you know, because the reason why I said it, because um, it, 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 it's... Um, He's writing symphonies now and all kinds of... Well, you know, what hit, me, what hit me was that, you know, when he came out with that piece about the children of Atlanta. Yeah. And then I related to, like, the James Baldwin piece yeah. about the, you know, like, evidence of things unseen and all that, that whole thing. And that was the first person that actually, he showed me this context of what he was trying to, trying to, trying right. to put it. Right. All right, John Bloom. John Blum. Well, you know, uh, I met John Blum. Uh, I don't know where I met him. Maybe the Improvise Collective we used to have at Context Studios. Who else used to be in there? Oh, a lot of so people. Cool. Mark White Cage, uh, Cooper Moore, uh, Bill Cole, uh, Warren Smith, Will Connell, a lot of people. Yeah. And when, when John Blum sat down at the piano, man, he was like... Uh, Intense, one of the most intense guys I've seen. 
I mean, uh, dig into the piano and, and go from here to the bottom of the piano to the top of the piano. Just dig, dig. And uh, without getting tired. And, 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 uh, and, and uh, I haven't heard him recently, but, you know, but he was one of the cats that was, you know, that was digging in the piano, you know, and making it come to life. I don't know if this person is in, in our generation. You tell me, you correct me if I'm wrong. Muhammad Ali. Well, Muhammad Ali. Was he before us? Well, Muhammad Ali is age. He's 80? Yeah, he's 80 years old. Wow, wow. And I've okay. met him in Europe. He's playing with the Jazz Doctors, which was Billy Bang, Muhammad Ali, Peter Cobalt, and Frank Lowe. Okay. And uh, three of them were doctors, and one was Peter Cobalt wasn't really a doctor. But three, three were doctors. Frank Lowe. How was Frank a doctor? If there was no way explain. Well, a doctor can write out prescriptions. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, all right. You know, you know. Okay, and I just leave it. I'll leave it there. Oh, I see. I see. I get it. Okay. Yeah. But, but the main prescription is that Frank was a sweet cat. And Frank, you know, you had like, you had Frank Wright, you had Frank Lowe. You had Marzen Watts, you had Arthur Doyle, you had who, um, there's one other guy uh, who were doing stuff in the upper register. And Frank had figured, had figured something out to get way up there to almost talk through his horn in the upper register. And when I met Frank in 1971, 72, he was one of the guys that gave me one of my first gigs in 1973. And Frank was playing, Frank was not stuck. You know, Frank, I mean, you know, Arthur Doe wouldn't stop either, but Frank wouldn't stop. I mean, he would just go, go, go. I, I was loving him. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. You know, but you don't find too many people who don't stop. You understood Marvin Patel? The drummer? Yeah. yeah. I never met him. I heard him on record. Okay, I heard okay. him a lot on record, on okay. ESP records. Yeah. Okay, all right. I was just, I was, yeah, I was just thinking. Uh, just thinking of, of, of dudes that I, I know that were in this realm of what where where we are. Um, yeah, Arthur Brooks, Arthur was trumpet player. Yeah, you yeah. played with him, right? Yeah, I played with him. Was he No, no, that was Arthur Williams. Oh, okay, now I'm sorry. We had okay. trumpet We had Ralph Emily, Arthur Brooks, Arthur Williams. Yeah. Arthur Williams kind of stayed up in, in Vermont, Bennington. He'd come down and play a little bit. He was coming uh, student with Bill Dixon. Yeah. And then Arthur Williams was from Jamaica, Queens. He was out there with Milford Graves. He lived in the projects. Uh, uh, and Arthur had something else. Arthur what, had, yeah, what, what about his music? How was he? Well, Arthur, we, they just released the first record under his name. You know, posthumously he died. But Arthur was, he, he just had a sound. And, a, and a, he, he discovered all the areas that other trumpet players weren't playing. He played. Interesting. You know, and, Interesting. Yeah. You know, he, he, he wasn't a high note player, but he was a textual player, but he but he had a sound. That he you know, wasn't like Lester who he wasn't like anybody you could name. Lester had his own I mean uh, Arthur Arthur Williams had his own thing. Played with Cecil, played with Milford, uh, and he was scaring people when he first came out. He scared me. Yeah, he was scared. I mean seriously, I you know, yeah, yeah, I went over to Princeton. And this dude come out, he came out there and like, hey, you know what I mean? I don't know. And he had, <laughs> he 
in life. What would this be? Better than what? Better? Because the, when I hear a hippie like you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Hippie dance, what would this be? Yeah, you remember? Oh, no, he was something else. Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sinan, uh, like I said, the drummer Clemson Parker, uh, uh, Eugene. Um, uh, there's a bunch of them who never really recorded that much. Yeah. Sinan's on Arthur Doyle's record, Alabama Feeling. All right, then. Okay. And that's about the only thing outside of Black Beans that he's on. Well, yeah. And he's out there in Brooklyn. You know, if you can find Still. him, I'm sure he want to come back. But if he's, you know, I'm sure he'll be coming after me if he's still going in the movie. So. Black Beans, Black Beans man. Yeah. Uh, Ahmed. Ahmed Abdullah. Yeah. I met Ahmed down in the studio week. And the first thing Ahmed told me was that I like melody. Okay. All right. He says, I'm a melodic player. And, and lo and behold, he was. Lo and behold, he wasn't a fire player. He was a melodic shifter of sound. Okay, okay. You know, we played a group called the Melodic Artet with Charles Brett King. I remember. And, and, and Roger Blunt. That's right, yeah, yeah. And uh, Charles would write those melodies, and, and uh, Ahmed would just read them, and it had this thing happening. And, and it was just the perfect sound. Not playing too much and not playing too little, but just playing the economical, playing the right thing at the right time. And that was our thing. Now I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if. Um, I'll ask you a question. <laughs> what do you say? Do I have the answer? What do you say? Do I have the answer? <laughs> No, go ahead. Quickly, he's saying wrap up. Wrap up. Oh, that's what he's saying? Yeah. Battery's running uh, quickly. This is a great day. It's a great day, Wade. It really is, man. And just to talk to you, um, you know, without getting corny or crazy or whatever, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's a joy. It's a joy. And it's always, it's always fun. Thank you for tuning in. In months ahead, you will have the opportunity to hear from many more Lost Generation artists and supporters. The audio-only version is available wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. It has been wonderful spending this time with you and the pleasure to have you on these shores again.